Well, it's great to be with you this morning. I'm Peter Salmon. I'm our lead pastor, if I haven't met you yet. And uh, we've been in a series called Everyone, Every Day. We're calling and equipping everyone in our church to be an everyday, ordinary fisher of men. And to do this, uh, we're, we've been looking at Jesus and how he called people to follow him and how we can imitate him, how we can uh, be his disciples, let him make us into fishers of men. We've been using the acronym FISH uh, and teaching through that, and we've kind of done the first three of this acronym, building a friendship of trust, initiating spiritual conversations, sharing the gospel, and then in a couple weeks, we'll kind of come back to this uh, with helping others follow Jesus, and uh, as I said, we're coming back to this in a couple weeks. This week and next week, we'll be looking at just a few um, key elements of what's required for us to live this out together, to live this out as a, as a picture of, of not just individuals living out the mission of Jesus as disciples, but as the disciples of Jesus coming together uh, today, 2,000 years later, to live out this mission. It requires something of us to do this together. Uh, for all of us, it requires making the mission of Jesus personal by having those that we love that we're praying for, by having people, specific names, we call it uh, who's your one, having a one on your heart that the Lord has given you, that you're praying for and reaching out to and being faithful in those relationships. And that requires sacrifice of time and energy. And, and along with that, we've talked about the significant financial sacrifices that are required as we come together so that in the years to come, we can be unhindered by facilities and unhindered by debt. And today, I, I want to share with you a video uh, some of you have seen this if you've been at a, at a dessert night, um, and it, that, was, that was a fantastic time. 400 people came to the 14 dessert nights that we held uh, around different homes and here at Trinity, and that was just so fantastic for me, so life-giving for me. Um, my wife did survive those couple of weeks, um, but it was life-giving for me uh, to just, as your pastor, interact and be face-to-face with so many of you. And um, for those who haven't seen this video, I think it'll be encouraging to hear some of these stories and to hear the core of this vision. And then for those who have heard these stories already, I know for me, um, it's, it never gets old to hear stories of what God's doing in our church. In 2019, we began to embrace a vision that if we want to see a movement in our community of disciples who make disciples, it has to be personal. We follow a savior who knows our name and who leaves the 99 to go after the one who is lost. And it's Jesus' example that's led so many of us to have a one in our lives that we can name. A person in our community who isn't walking with Jesus, but who we are sharing life with and helping to discover Jesus. We also committed four years ago to make more room in our building for our ones, and your generosity blew us away. Through your sacrificial giving, we were able to construct a brand new worship center, and since then, our church has grown by 35%. In the last year, we've celebrated 20 baptisms. Almost 100 people have attended a Next Steps class, and we had over 200 kids at VBS this past summer. Most importantly, so many of you are sharing life with your ones, and helping them discover Jesus.
My name is Vince. I moved here Waterloo in 2001. I'm currently a plumber, married with two kids. Grew up, I was raised by my mom, my grandma, and one of my aunts. Grandma, mom, big, big churchgoers. When I was young, it was, I mean, it was kind of just routine. When I turned 18, I just kind of had a lot of questions that I didn't have answers for, and it wasn't really my thing, and just walked away from it all. I'm Rob Shirk. Um, I've lived in the Cedar Valley just about my entire life. When I was a junior in high school, we were introduced to the Free Methodist Church. That's where I recall the first, have my first recollections of people talking about Jesus. One of the things that drew me and my entire family to Trinity was my brother-in-law. He told us for 20 years that we needed to go investigate Trinity because it was a unique place. And once we got here, I understood what he was talking about. Me and my wife kind of started talking about going back to church. We weren't anti-religion. We are just like, if it makes you happy, cool, but it's not our thing. How I met Rob Shirk, he was actually a customer for work. We had a plumbing issue in our house. Vince came to address that issue. Told him that me and my wife had talked about possibly trying to find a church and start going to church. My wife and I kind of shared a little bit of our faith story and we invited Vince to Trinity. Me and the wife came for first time and we really enjoyed the service. Anytime I would see Vince in, at church, you know, I would greet him and, and we would chat and things. Four or five weeks of coming here, we just decided that we liked it here, we liked the environment and decided to stay. I love the environment at Trinity. You got different age groups and there doesn't seem to be a sense of, oh, I gotta hold a certain demeanor or, you know, it's, it's very relaxed. Pastor Peter approached me and he, he said, you know, Vince is interested in, in a Bible study. He said, would you be interested in leading him in that study? Vince is a very enthusiastic investigator. Sometimes Vince asks some challenging questions which forces me deeper and deeper into the Word. That, and as the deeper I go into the Word, the more Christ draws me to Him. I appreciate everything He does. I'm super thankful that I went on that service call or I got put on that service call for work and, and met Him and I couldn't ask for a better mentor. It's my prayer for Vince that he will have an experience very similar to what I did that as he spends more time with the people of the church, that he will be drawn in, that he will see the, the love of God through those people, and that he will give his heart to the Lord. I paint buildings and things like that. I don't have much of an artistic flair, but I started coming to Trinity. It's been a good five, six, maybe more years. It was just a good way for me to spend time with mom and make sure she's getting around safely. I felt so welcomed the first time I was here. My, my mom, she was very religious when we were younger, and my dad did believe in God, and, and he did respect her, but we did not attend church. We didn't do things like that. When I did go to church, we would go different times, and of course you went on Easter and Christmas and all that kind of, you know, the major holidays and check the box kind of thing. I was young, and like I said, I was from the river, and I got to be inside, and I have to wear pants, and it just it just didn't really go well for me at church um, as, as a young man. But 
as I grew, um, some of the things I didn't like hearing at church when I was young started to make sense. Kind of made me start to think I, I need to maybe apply some of these things I'm learning in, in my life. And as I did that, my life changed. My relationship with Jesus is awesome. We're very close. I communicate with him almost nonstop. You know, it's all in here. And just, just releasing that up, up to God. That's, so I, I pray a lot. I, w I was here when Peter first started preaching here. I could really identify with him. He was a really down-to-earth kind of guy. He's from a small town. I'd say the people I've met at Trinity, the staff and the con congregation, I mean, everybody's been welcoming and, and having a lot of pleasant conversation and, and chats in the hallways. And I've met a few guys for, for coffee at different times. Um, and, and I need a lot of that, because like I said, I'm a river rat, and a lot of the, and not much of that lifestyle is attending church. I've got a lot of, a lot of friends that are non-believers, and I feel like if they came to Trinity, and I've asked them, I've invited them multiple times, I feel like they would have the exact same, like they would come in, they'd be welcome, they wouldn't be pressured, they wouldn't be smothered. It's just a real nice, neutral, comfortable environment to be in, and I think they would notice that right off. Another thing that Trinity has, has provided for me and is to not be ashamed and to stand tall and not, not be afraid. I feel like some of the people at the sandbar need to see me because I might be the only representation of the Bible they'll ever actually see. And if they can see somebody like me that's made the mistakes that I've made, then maybe they would, they would say, hey, look, man, if, if, if that guy can do it, like, we can too. I, I decided to get baptized at Trinity because I was ready to be baptized. As soon as I got baptized, that was part of what we were learning in small group. And I'd never gave any of that two, two thoughts, you know. In the moment, I thought I fully understood what baptism is, and I didn't. <laughs> but the upside is I went ahead and I got baptized, and as I'm growing, I, I feel I have a better understanding of how, how the Holy Spirit works in my life. I grew up in church. I was at church all the time with my dad. Grew up with a really strong faith family, I guess. It was just, it was kind of like a second home to me. My dad had worked with Trinity in the past for just a bunch of tech stuff. Both my parents really liked the service. I did not want to come at first. I did not want to go to this church. I was very cynical about coming here. And then my friend Mary invited me to come to the youth group for the summer. Uh, we do a thing called Mosaic Fires. I, that first mosaic that I went to, it changed a lot of things for me. It showed me a different type of church and a different type of worship and a different type of relationship. And it just, it immediately felt like home. I was born with a disability called spinal muscular atrophy. It's left me without the strength to walk, to do just a lot of stuff. It's my whole body, it's not just my legs. My muscles just basically don't grow the way that they should. This disability just, it gets worse with time. Basically, when I was born, my parents were told that I would most likely die in my 20s. I wouldn't graduate high school. I wouldn't go to college. A lot of devastating news for uh, parents, especially because I was their first kid. This was not how they saw their lives going. So as I got older and started understanding the concept of life more, my faith also became a little bit more rocky. I still always struggled with why would God put me in a wheelchair? Like, why, why would he do that? I've always wrestled with that question of why, 
I was scared to ask these questions because I thought that it would mean that I was a lesser Christian, I guess. So I just shied away from them. I pushed them down. I didn't let myself find out. And then the summer that we started going here, I started working out at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference with my dad. That week, to say it was transformative would be an understatement, but it ended up being the thing that brought me back to God. The thing I struggled with the most was the fact that coming back to God didn't fix my depression, didn't fix my anxiety, was having suicidal thoughts and I was still self-harming and I still just didn't want to be here at all. And it hurt even more knowing that there was a God out there and that he loves me and that I was still feeling like this even though he's out there. My youth group holds a lock-in once a year during the winter. It's like right before winter break happens. It's so fun. We stay up all night. We play games. There's a worship set. It's a night with my friends and a night with God. Um, and I looked forward to it, but I was still stuck in my hurt. I was numb to the world and numb to everything. Everything changed after that night. And I don't know what God did, but God did something. God's perfect joy and God's perfect peace. Something in my brain finally clicked. And then since then, I've just had this fire for God, this fire to be around him and learn, learn more. Like it's like a hunger to go read my Bible. I've never seen God's presence like I have here. It's less the place and more the people here and the way that they love you. No one's afraid to build relationships here. The whole like making disciples who make disciples thing here, um, they take that seriously. They see you not as a statistic, but as an actual person. These stories represent many more stories that we are celebrating of God working in our midst. However, this growth has practical realities. For example, on a lot of Sundays at 9 a.m., our parking lot is overflowing. And as our church grows, our need for ministries to serve people and to disciple people also increases. With all that God's doing, we're now prompted to take another bold step to spur on what was started four years ago. We're launching a two-year campaign called Everyone, Every Day. When I look at the example of the early church movement in the New Testament, it wasn't dependent on a pastor preaching one day a week. It was everyone living out the mission in their everyday lives. We want to be a movement of everyone every day, just like the early disciples. And in this season, we have a goal of equipping everyone in our church to be an everyday, ordinary fisher of men who relentlessly reaches the ones that they love that they're sharing life with. The Everyone Everyday campaign is also a continuation of our recent building project. Now, our members have approved a phase two project to first solve our parking problems and later to finish areas of our building that we didn't address last time. At the same time, even though we've been blessed to pay off two-thirds of our previous building project, we want to pay the final $1.4 million remaining on our mortgage. Elimination of our debt will immediately free up significant resources that we can put back into the ministry work of our church. Altogether, we're trusting God for $2.1 million to fund these campaign initiatives. If we can raise these funds and pay off our loan right now, Instead of slowly paying it off over the next 15 years, we can literally save a million dollars in interest. Imagine the potential ministry impact we can have with those extra funds. This will give us so much freedom to be unhindered as a movement in the years to come. Movements need to be able to move and to be able to invest wherever the Lord directs, whether that's 
Having the resources to train young ministers, plant churches, or do something that God hasn't even shown us yet. This campaign is not just about our church. In fact, as part of the Everyone Every Day campaign, we'll be giving a portion of the funds we raise to bless our friends at Bendembu Bible College in Sierra Leone and to help support a Wesleyan church plant right here in Iowa. These Beyond Our Walls projects provide an example of the significant opportunities we will have to bless others when we're unhindered by death. There's incredible potential for us to multiply as a movement of disciples who make disciples. But it starts with every one of us making everyday sacrifices. So here's what we ask of you. First, make a relational commitment to have a one that you're sharing life with and helping to discover Jesus. For those who already have a one, keep going. Keep in that daily relationship, representing Jesus' love through your love of that person. For those still praying about who your one might be, take a bold step of faith. Intentionally engage with non-believers in your life. Get to know someone better. Begin investing in a friendship and praying for them. I can't wait to see what happens when everyone in our church is equipped as an everyday fisher of men. Second, our leadership is asking you to prayerfully consider a financial commitment to this campaign. We aren't asking for everyone to give equally, but we are asking for everyone to sacrifice equally towards this need. So engage with God in prayer about what he might ask you to pledge over the next two years so that we can be unhindered as a movement, unhindered in our facilities and parking, and unhindered by debt so that we can be free to follow wherever God leads in the future. Whether you've been with us for four months or 40 years, we're asking that everyone who calls Trinity home would join in these two commitments. I love being part of this with you. I love seeing God work in the lives of my ones, and I love when you introduce me to your ones here on Sunday morning or in a coffee shop. Best of all is celebrating with those whose ones have trusted in Jesus and have been baptized. But I believe we're just getting started. We can gain momentum in this season as all of us, together, become a movement of everyone, every day. Well, it's fun hearing those stories, and there's so many more that we could share of what God's doing in our community, what God's doing in our church. And uh, like I said, I believe this is just the beginning. And so we're inviting everyone to come uh, together in this season and be a part of what God's doing through those uh, two commitments that were mentioned. And I don't want to undersell this. And so kind of the purpose of my message today, and it'll be a shorter, shorter message today as we dive into God's word. But I don't want to undersell the kind of sacrifice that's required. Because yes, it, it does involve sacrifice. Following Jesus, being a part of his mission, does involve sacrifice. We've defined sacrifice according to John 3.16. Last week we uh, looked at a God and what he sacrificed for the sake of the world. And we define sacrifice as giving up something that you want for something you want even more. And we can look at the example of Jesus as well in Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 
2 says that for the joy that lay before him, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy that lay before him, for that thing he wanted even more, he was able to sacrifice and endure what came of giving up even his own life. Jesus endured the sacrifice of the cross for the sake of those that would come, for the joy of pleasing his Father, for the joy of welcoming home uh, countless people who would come to faith in him. And so often, you know, we, we struggle with the idea of sacrifice. It can feel at times like so much of a guilt trip, uh, but Jesus didn't see it that way. Jesus was joyful in the way that he responded in sacrifice. And for, for us to uh, today, we can learn from Jesus in this. Because it, it, it isn't natural to sacrifice something we want for something we want even more. I think of a few years ago, my son was uh, probably about three or four years old. And we were getting ready. We'd finished up supper and we're getting ready to go to a family birthday party. And at the family birthday party, we, we were going to have scratch cupcakes, I think, were what were served there. And so everybody was kind of looking forward to that. But um, our son asked, um, hey, can I have a treat after supper? And we said, well, we're getting ready to go to this you know, birthday party. They're going to have cupcakes. And said, yeah, but still, I want to I treat now. And, and so, you know, we, we're trying to not be those mean parents that tell their kids no, right? Um, I'm told that we need to give our kids options now. You can't just tell them no. Um, <laughs> this was our first kid, by the way, so we hadn't really, you know, fleshed all this out yet. But so we decided, okay, we'll give them a choice. We'll give them options. And so we looked in the cupboard, and I think there was a little tiny Starburst candy in the cupboard. And so we said, okay, um, you can have that Starburst candy now, or you can have a whole scratch cupcake later, you know, when they have all the different flavors that you can pick from, right? Guess which one he picked? The candy now. And I just think it's not natural for us to think of what we might give up in the moment for something that we would want even more later. But following Jesus, it's always involved sacrifice. And so again, we've been studying the story of Jesus and the disciples and how he called the disciples. And in Matthew chapter 4, 19, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And we've been looking at the full version of that story in Luke chapter 5. You can turn there. Just the last few verses I want to focus in on today, starting in verse 8. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon, from now on you will be catching people. Then they brought their boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Just like that, they left everything behind. Now it probably had taken some time for Peter to work up to this point where he finally had his own fishing boat. You know, as you were an apprentice learning to be a fisherman, they didn't just give you a fishing boat right away. You had to earn that. You had to get to the point where you were kind of released and, and, and put out with your own fishing boat, and it would have been quite an achievement to get to that place. And he doesn't seem to give it a second thought, but just gives it up to follow Jesus. 
But not only that, remember what happened right before this? They had this miracle catch of fish. So many fish that were piled into the boats that the, that the boats began to sink. They just hit like the fishing jackpot. They just had won the fishing lottery. I mean, they were going to be rich after this, right? But instead, they gave it all away. You've got to appreciate God's sense of humor in this, right? Like, not only am I going to ask you to leave your boats behind, but I'm going to fill them so full of fish that you've more fish than you've ever seen before, and I'm going to ask you to leave them behind. And so imagine these disciples now leaving behind their boats. And understand, they can't, they can't take their boats with them as they follow Jesus. Can you just imagine them, like, dragging their boats behind them? As they're trying to follow Jesus in his ministry to Capernaum and Jerusalem and all these different places, lugging their boats and taking their boats with them, they had to give them up. And, and every single one of us, as we follow Jesus and as we continue to follow him in our lives, we have to leave things behind. Now, we're different than these first disciples, these fishermen who left their boats, most most Christians in the Bible didn't leave behind their jobs or quit their jobs as soon as they began following Jesus. But, but every follower of Jesus is called to make sacrifices. You know, all of us have to be willing to leave behind our own ways of trying to um, atone for our sins, our own ways of being, trying to be righteous, our own ways of trying to kind of solve and fix our problems. All of us have to be willing to leave behind sin in our lives and, and put our trust in Jesus and in him alone. All of us have to be willing to leave behind, you know, other things too. I think when I was 16 years old and, and I put my faith and trust in Jesus, the biggest thing that I had to kind of leave behind in that moment was my reputation. You know, those, those friends of mine that I knew were going to just mock me for being the, the Christian kid. All of us make, make sacrifices, leave things behind. You, you, make, you make sacrifices to just be here and to be together with God's people on a Sunday morning and to live in community with your brothers and sisters during the week. And so just, just like the disciples, when Jesus calls us to follow him, it involves leaving something behind. But did you know that there was a second time that Jesus told Peter to follow me? Jesus in Matthew 4.19 says, follow me. And then did you know that later on, there was a second time where Jesus told Peter, follow me? It was one of Jesus' final conversations with Peter. After he had gone to the cross to die for the sins of the world, after he rose from the dead, he and Peter are sitting down at breakfast together. And if you are familiar with the story, they had some things to sort out, Right? They had some things to work through. But towards the end of this conversation, Jesus tells him this in John chapter 21, starting in verse 18. He says, Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And he said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus told him, follow me. Jesus begins and ends his time on this earth as he ministers 
to Peter. He begins and ends that relationship with follow me. Here, Jesus is saying, hey, follow me even to the point of death. Following Jesus has always involved sacrifice. This time, though, it's not just leaving his boats behind. It's giving up his very life. But even in this, Peter is undeterred as he goes forward. And for the next few decades, he spends his life taking the message of the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to as many people as he possibly can. And yes, he does end up paying the ultimate price, sacrificing everything. But he's willing to follow Jesus because there's something that he wants even more. He wants to bring glory to God. He wants to, the world to know what his Savior has done for him. And so this is so different, right, than our modern consumer mindset that we approach life with. When we approach life, we think of what's in it for me and what do I get out of it and, and kind of what, what financial advantage is this going to bring for me? But for the disciples, there was no earthly uh, long-term advantage to this. It resulted in sacrifice. And for, for us to continue to follow Jesus just as the early disciples did, we can't think that it will be any different. And so now, 2,000 years later, we're called um, daily in our lives to, to sacrifice, to give up things we want for what we want even more. And in this season, it's a unique season for us as a church. And it's a specific time uh, where we're calling people to pray and to consider for us to follow Jesus together as a church into the, the future that he has for us, whatever that might be, what do we need to sacrifice in this season? What, what will we need to sacrifice in order to, to reach those in our lives that we, we love uh, with the message of the hope and the gospel of Jesus? What will it take to to share life together, to build a friendship? What kind of sacrifices will that take? Giving up our plans, giving up maybe some of our privacy to invite them into our lives and invite them into our, our homes. Giving up comfort to initiate spiritual conversations. Um, giving up time to read the Bible with them and to help introduce them to Jesus. But those, those sacrifices that are involved are far more than individual sacrifices. There's the sacrifices we make together. The early church made radical sacrifices together for the sake of the mission. And for us, we've been in just a unique season of growth and movement over the past few years. Where, yes, four years ago, we, we came together and we um, called uh, our church to make sacrifices together for the sake of what God was doing among us, to be good stewards of what God's doing among us and to make room for more in our church. And last week we talked about, you know, the church being the people, uh, the church being the family of God, not the building. The building isn't the church. The building isn't the family of God. The people are the church. But then we talked about how the building is kind of like your house 
as a church. And we decided to expand our building to make room for our growing church family. And it's, it's tempting, as we ask again for you to consider to sacrifice, it's tempting to kind of run from that kind of sacrifice. But, but for us, the only other option is to say, hey, let's, let's stop growing our church family. Somebody one time asked me, um, how big of a church do you want Trinity to be? That is not my call. That is not my job to decide how big of a church this church is. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing. If I were to put a number to that, I would say I want us to have 13 more people here on a Sunday morning than we do today. Because there's three families that, that Amy and I are praying for. There's 13 people in these families total. Yeah, I want 13 more people to be here this morning. However big we need to be to reach those that we love, that we're praying for, the people that Jesus died for, that's how big of a church we're going to be. And we're going to do whatever it takes to make the space so that there's no barriers, so that people can come unhindered. And so for us here today, it's, a, it's another call, it's another challenge to sacrifice. And I know, I know we've asked so much of you and so many of you have sacrificed and so many of you are so faithful. But Amy and I in this season, as we've prayed, as we've sought God, as we've asked him to show us what he's calling us uh, to do in this season, um, let me just tell you, we are so excited. We are so excited next Sunday to come together with you, with our church family and to, to make those commitments. Um, for us, there's nothing more right now that we want to give above and beyond to in this season. And so practically speaking, we understand and we know that this requires something. That this requires something of, of us. It, it, it requires sacrifice. It requires maybe reducing expenses for us. You know, we have to put those things on a table, on the table as a family and say, are, are there going to be ways we have to reduce expenses? Uh, for, for some, maybe it's, you know, giving up that Starbucks habit for Jesus or <laughs> giving up that, that subscription for Jesus. Uh, maybe it's delaying a vacation or delaying a house project. Uh, maybe it's giving up that extra gadget or toy. Maybe for some, it's giving up the comfort of extra financial security. Maybe you've worked hard and you've saved. And, you know, I, I was talking with one of our key leaders the other day. Just, just personally, th this couple, they're um, just great encouragers for me. And as I was talking to them, we were, we were talking about this campaign. And they, they said at one point, he said, uh, you know, we're praying about what we're going to do. And he said, you know, we give, but I don't know if we've ever really given sacrificially. And, and maybe that's you today. Maybe that's true of, of you. Maybe you'd say that today. But each of us, we're calling each person to pray about what God's calling them to do. What are you willing to leave behind? What are you willing to sacrifice? So that over the next two years, through December 2025, after we get to that point, you know, together as we make these sacrifices, we can continue to move forward two years from now, effective as a movement of disciples who make disciples. And we have a huge goal in this season. 
We're trusting God for $2.1 million. And uh, I want to just break this down into parts. Went through it really quickly in the video. And just really quickly want to go through it again and share with you. Some of you, this is old news. Uh, some of you, this is brand new information. And so I don't want to assume everybody understands kind of the, the full uh, scope of what we're doing. And, um, and so we just want full transparency in this. And we welcome questions and we welcome feedback in this. But uh, the first thing we're doing is we're giving a, a small gift. Uh, kind of, you could call it kind of a first fruits offering, the first of what comes in to two Beyond Our Walls initiatives. One has been Denbu Wesleyan Bible College in Sierra Leone. We've had a great partnership with them over the years. Uh, four years ago, we helped them put in solar panels on their campus, and they hadn't had electricity for 25 years on their campus since the Civil War in Sierra Leone. And that, as you can understand, transforms, transformed uh, the campus. If you've ever been around a college student, they don't tend to study until it gets dark out, right? And so uh, this, as you can understand, transforms a, a, a campus like that. Uh, now we're wanting to come together with them and help them with some of their, their next phase, their next dream as a campus is to uh, establish a place on their campus where they can begin to train Christian teachers and educators, to go into some of the rural parts of Sierra Leone and to make an impact on the next generation. generation. And we want to come behind them and, and support them in that effort. Secondly, we have a church in Charles City called the Bridge Church, and there's a pastor there, Pastor Eric Voss, and you're going to get to meet him at some point here on a Sunday morning. Uh, but Pastor Eric and his wife and their family, they feel uh, called. They have a call from the Lord to go and plant a church in Mason City. And again, we are so excited to come uh, 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 alongside them and help them in that effort, and we want to encourage them in this and partner with them. Second, we're adding parking. Uh, that might be pretty obvious if you've ever uh, been driving by or walked by what's happening on the east side of our church, but we had to get on that and jump on that right away as uh, summer was happening and that construction season, and um, so it is $600,000 to add 100 new spots. That blows my mind. I, I can't comprehend the cost of that. Apparently, that's what concrete and gravel costs these days. Um, so we're just having to go along with that. That's the cost of kind of being in, in this community and doing ministry in this community. And so um, we want to be prepared, I think, for that Sunday when someone that we have been praying for and ministering to, when they show up for the first time. That, that is such a huge decision that someone makes when they just kind of maybe on a whim say, hey, I'm going to go to church this morning. A friend invited me. Man, that is not normal in our culture. And so we don't want there to be any barriers from the moment they pull in the driveway to the moment they leave. Um, so to make space for parking, it's $6,000 per spot. I know, it's mind-boggling, right? Um, now, even with, with giving sacrificially, um, not every household would be able to give you know, $6,000 per spot uh, over the next two years. Uh, but some might be able to do a third of a spot or, or half of a parking spot or maybe two or five or maybe some have been blessed and would say, I could, I could cover 10 or 20 spots. Um, someone, someone did ask me, hey, can I get my name painted on one of the parking <laughs> spots if I give? Uh, I said, well, we don't usually do that kind of thing. Uh, but how much, tell me how much first you're planning to give. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, 
But that's important in this season. Man, we're excited to get that space and, and solve our parking problems for now. Um, third, maybe you're more motivated. Maybe as you think about sacrifice, maybe what, what motivates you. I know it motivates me. Um, the fact that we still have remaining $1.4 million in debt, and we can literally save a million dollars in interest if we pay that off in the next two years. And so anything that, that someone gives now will uh, free up funds down the road. If you give a dollar now, it'll save up two dollars, it'll save two dollars, or free up, rather, two dollars in the future. If you give ten dollars a month now, it'll free up twenty dollars a month in the future. A hundred dollars a month now, it'll free up two hundred dollars a month in the future. So maybe that's a helpful way to think about it as you pray about and consider what God's calling you uh, to do. Finally, maybe you're more motivated by some of the, what we're calling finishing projects, kind of after we take care of um, some of these other things and debt, um, the, the kind of last few things around our space that really are going to uh, help our facility be useful for people to use this facility all different days of the week. It gets used um, almost every single day of the week and offered to different groups in our community. And um, so, so these are things that are, are important, and we don't want to put them off too much longer. Um, we want to prioritize eliminating debt first, but these are some important areas that I think uh, many of us are passionate about. I know um, that kids' play space is a, is a big deal in our household, uh, I know, for our kids and our family. Um, so we're asking everyone to just prayerfully consider how God might be leading you towards these two commitments. Um, you Probably by now I've seen one of the pledge cards. If you haven't taken one, you can go ahead and grab that and, and take that home and pray over that this week. But just, I don't know if you can even see this, but on the pledge card, there's the, uh, the first um, line that's, who's your one? Man, who are, is God leading you uh, towards in this season that you're rubbing shoulders with and just living life with and sharing life with that he's put on your heart? Um, and you can just write praying on that if you're not sure yet. But this is so important, and that's why it's the first thing on this commitment card. Um, because we believe that God's going to use every single one of us to make a difference, an eternal difference in this community. But then secondly, how is he calling you to sacrifice and to give? What are you willing to sacrifice over the next two years? Um, again, for something that we want even more. For this movement of disciples who make disi makes disciples... Uh, to be unhindered in the years to come. So two practical, two more practical things. Uh, one is tonight, uh, come and pray with us. We'll be together in the worship center. Uh, it'll look totally different than it normally does when you walk in. And there's been so much prayer and intentionality and thought that's been put towards just um, uh, different prayer stations and just how this night is going to go tonight as we come together and pray. So please do come tonight. And, um, you know, I, I was talking with some pastor friends this week, and they said, uh, why, are, why are the prayer meetings, you know, always the, the least attended meetings in the church? Um, and I hope that's not true of us, right? Uh, we want to prioritize prayer as we come together uh, tonight and pray for our community and pray um, for what God's doing in us and, and around us. Then secondly, next Sunday, uh, it's going to be a special time. Uh, we're going to be gathered all together in the worship center at 9 o'clock, and we'll have identical services at 9 o'clock and 1045, both with the choir and the kids' choir and the worship team. And uh, it's just going to be a fun time of gathering together, celebrating together, 
And I just remember even four years ago when we had this time together, I was just so overwhelmed with emotion and gratitude as um, just seeing so many people respond. And it'll be a powerful time for us to share together. Well, I want to welcome this morning someone special, a special guest who is with us. Uh, He's no stranger to many of you, but for some, maybe you've never uh, met him before. But uh, Tim Purcell is our district uh, superintendent, now assistant district superintendent uh, of the Northwest District of the Wesleyan Church, and a good friend, and excited to have him come and just share and pray for us this morning. So why don't you welcome Tim as he comes. This is dangerous, but I'm going to turn it over to you. I like it. Whoops. Just lost my notes. Good morning. Good night. What a great vision. Dawn and I decided to move here so we could be a part part of that. So, yeah, there's my commitment card. Thank you. I like it. What a great vision, and a special thanks for um, including Mason City. You're going to love Eric Voss when he comes and shares with you, and he just has a passion to plant a church there. So this is an incredibly exciting time to be a part of Trinity Bible Church. Hey, do you remember the line from the movie Field of Dreams? That great line, if you build it, they will come? Uh, Not true for churches. In church world, we build it because they came and because they're coming. And the reason that you're going through this process is because you're experiencing this incredible momentum in actually fulfilling the Great Commission. Um, The mission of disciples who make disciples is actually happening and you find yourself in a position to steward that incredible momentum and to remove the barriers that would stand in the way of people coming to Jesus. Do you realize what an exception you are? In the last 25 years, 40 million people have quit attending church in North America. 40 million. And in that climate, you're seeing people come to Jesus and you're seeing visitors in your church literally every week. And so that's, that's why you're in this position of needing practical things like parking spaces. It's a wonderful challenge, but at the same time, it's still a challenge and it can be tiring. But it occurs to me there are a couple of different kinds of fatigue. There's the fatigue of progress and there's the fatigue of frustration. And I'll take the fatigue of progress every time, won't you? And it's okay. I I get the fact that it's a challenge. I was a pastor for 31 years before I took this position 14 years ago now. You can do that math. And in those 31 years, I was privileged to be a part of two churches that went through five major building programs and we had eight capital stewardship campaigns to fund those. And I told Dawn, I said, 
if we die broke, it won't be because we were underpaid. It was because we were always in a building program. <laughs> well, God's been faithful and we're not broke. So I get, I get it. I get the challenge of didn't we just do this four years ago, if you're feeling that. I got to thinking about an account in Mark chapter 2. Um, if you remember the story where the four friends wanted to bring their paralytic buddy to Jesus, and, and the house where Jesus was teaching was so packed, nobody, nobody, they couldn't get in. And so being creative guys, remember what they did? Got up on the roof, tore a hole in the guy's roof. I, I, I can just picture people, stuff falling down, and pretty soon, down he comes. Incredible. And uh, Jesus not only healed him, he forgave him. He not only healed his physical condition, he healed his spiritual condition. So, great story. Quick question. Who are the heroes in that story? Obviously, the, Jesus is the first hero, the great physician, but the four men who did whatever it took to bring their friend to Jesus. But I think there's another hero. The poor sap who owned the house. <laughs> he, he always gets overlooked. I mean, the, the, the four guys get all the press. But here this amazing, amazing thing happens. And the paralytic is healed and is able to walk and he's forgiven. And everybody leaves. And there's the homeowner. <laughs> uh, Jesus, you healed that paralytic. Could you like heal my roof real quick here? Um, here here's, here's the point. It is inconvenient and costly. To make disciples who make disciples. And sometimes the role we play, like the homeowner, isn't all that glamorous, but it's just as important. And I hope that homeowner understood that it's always, always, always worth the expense and inconvenience to see people come to Jesus. Because ultimately, that may be the only thing that really matters. You remember that rhetorical question that Jesus asked? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? And the obvious answer is nothing. And that's the thought I want to leave you with, that it's always worth it. Always, always, always fulfilling our mission to make disciples who make disciples. And yeah, it's not easy. And yeah, it's sacrifice. But it's always worth it. So Trinity Bible Church, I pray that God will continue to give you 
faith, courage, perseverance. As he works through you to change the makeup of eternity in the Cedar Valley by making disciples who do what? Make disciples. Let me pray for you. Lord God, I just am so grateful for this church family that goes by the name of Trinity Bible Church. I praise you for the testimonies that we got to witness through that video and hundreds more like them. I thank you for the vision that Pastor Peter laid out this morning. This is not a vision to raise money to build something nice for us. This is a vision to take the steps to remove the barriers that would keep people from coming to know you. And so, Lord God, um, I, I just pray that next Sunday, next Sunday, we would be shocked and amazed once again by the goodness of God. So I just pray for those three things, faith, courage, perseverance, to follow you and to give ourselves to this glorious mission and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you.